0: Santa's watching, Santa's creeping Now you're nodding, now you're sleeping Were you good for mom and dad? Santa knows if you've been
1: bad They're Welcome to now playing's Silent Night, Deadly Night retrospective series This fella, dressed as Santa, he said about killing them man that was naughty Hosted by Stuart. What the hell's wrong with that kid? Arnie. I don't sleep. And Marjorie.
0: Well, I stop seeing these creepy things. I hate it.
1: Each week, we will be unwrapping and reviewing another film in the Silent Night, Deadly Night series. Leading up to a review of the remake, coming out in December. Christmas. The number one holiday for people going nuts. But be warned. Opening this gift will give you detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. Listener discretion is advised. Merry Santa fucking
0: Christmas.
2: Today we're discussing Silent Night, Deadly Night 4. Initiation? Initiation? <laughs> this is the fourth movie. How can we get started now? What do you initiate at Christmas?
0: Late bloomers.
2: I get Better Watch Out, but initiation? All right. Starring Clint Howard. <laughs> <laughs> Always a good sign. Neith Hunter, Tommy Hinckley, and Reggie Bannister, and Maud Adams. <laughs> Octopussy! Directed by one of my favorites, Brian Usna. I'm Arnie. Co-host of now playing... And there is no logical explanation why we're doing this movie. Stuart in LA.
0: This is Marjorie. Is that a giant tentacled creature in your stomach or are you just happy to see me? Why can't it be both?
2: (laughs) I probably am just such a Pollyanna that our listeners must be confused where my unbridled optimism comes from. Because somehow I come to each one of these movies thinking they're all going to be as good as part two. Because... Part three had Bill Mosley and some Twin Peaks alums. I had really high hopes. This one, you guys probably thought I was joking when I said Brian Usen is one of my favorite directors, but this man has a long horror history. He produced the original Reanimator, directed the two sequels of Reanimator. He worked on From Beyond, Warlock, Guyver, just a ton of movies that I held near and dear and have watched so many times. And while I have to say the two reanimator sequels may not live up to the original envision, they're a fun time. They are just a gory, gnarl fun time. And then you throw Clint Howard in the role? I'm expecting another tremendous time. Wow.
3: Like I said, I knew going into this that I would be issuing lumps of coal, that it's really about how bad the children have been this year that is going to determine what I think of it. I didn't think I'd like a single one of them, which is why 2 has been so delightful and has become an unfortunate bar that I'm not sure we will meet again. But that was the high mark for me, and it came early. It was unexpected. But you're right to point out Usna. I don't know his work that much. I've only seen the 1st Reanimator. I have seen some of the movies he's produced with Stuart Gordon. I know his reputation as having made a horror classic called Society. He's kind of known as sort of a David Cronenberg type. He does movies about body horror, and Society is supposed to be a really squeamish 80s movie made right before this. I think it was his directorial debut. Some circles, they'll tell you it's a classic. I know it's all about weird, icky orgies. The poster has a man's face coming out of a buttock, so I know what I'm in for. One day I'll get to that, but I know that this director has some clout in the horror community, and yeah, I'm expecting, if not a masterpiece, at least a step up in terms of Behind the camera.
0: Yeah, I'm just along for the ride on this one. I have no affinity for any of these people. Clint Howard is mildly amusing every once in a while, but I was really hoping finally that we'd get some Santa Claus on people action with an axe. I was really disappointed.
3: Is this even a Silent Night, Deadly Night movie? I gotta say, sometimes when we have these subtitles like Initiation or whatever, I'm thinking this started as one thing... And ended up being like, well, we do own the rights to Silent Night. Why don't we slap that on there and we'll get more people to rent it?
2: I could find absolutely nothing out about this, but it has that feel. It certainly feels like it was just something that was written. They threw the name on. But this does have somebody named Ricky in it.
3: Yeah, that's the tie here is Clint Howard is Ricky. When we get into the movie, we can talk about if it's the Ricky or which Ricky it is that we've seen before, but he doesn't have a bowl on his head and he doesn't talk about Garbage Day. But yes, there is a Ricky slasher killer here. But I'm sorry, Silent Night, Deadly Night, you owe us a Christmas horror movie, right? I mean, would it kill somebody to rent a snow machine? Could somebody (laughs) please put on a Santa suit? Why do you have to film in L.A.? I mean, please, could someone do it proper and give us the wintry kind of scenario that this franchise is really begging for? I mean, if I don't see a decapitated head coming down a chimney, I am not pleased. But that would mean going further
2: than outside your agent's office to film.
3: (laughs) Indeed, this is another one done extremely on the cheap. Direct-to-video, made the next year. I dare say probably the copies for part three had just been shipped when they decided to cobble together and start filming on this one. I mean, it was exactly one year later that this was out on VHS.
2: But other than Clint Howard, Maude Adams, and Brian Usena, is anybody in this movie gone on to do anything? Our star Neith Hunter didn't really turn up as anything for me. I didn't recognize anybody else in this movie. What are you talking about, Arnie? Alice Beasley is here, too. You know, she looked slightly familiar to me, but I didn't really... You didn't
0: recognize Agnes DePesto?
2: Oh, Agnes DePesto, her! I forgot, yes, I know her from Moonlighting. This is an all-star cast, Arnie. They have
3: Reggie Bannister from the Phantasm movies, Octopussy, Clint Howard. I mean, I'm reeling at how much star clout they have this time. (laughs) For a Silent Night, Deadly Night, I dare say it's the most star-studded. I don't know. The last one had Robert Culp and Bill Moseley. Well, I guess the thing to do then is to tell us what this all-star illustrious cast is going to do. Give them that plot. <clears throat> oh, good. <laughs> I don't even recognize it.
2: A girl's legs suddenly catch on fire (laughs) As she plummets from a roof Knowing what happened is Kim's big desire A wannabe reporter needs the truth Everybody knows that Kim just works in classifieds. Her boyfriend Hank tells her stay calm. She thinks FEMA knows how young Lily died. She doesn't know FEMA's the girl's mom. She finds out Fima is a witch. <laughs> she wants to raise her daughter's spirit in this bitch. And Kim is raped oh God by homeless Ricky, who keeps trying to feed her bug larvae. And so Kim tries to get cops to help out. Tries to prove Ricky killed Hank. But there's no proof of what Kim's babbling about. There's no sign of Rick Shank. And at this point, the movie goes what could be called Bug Nuts by Stewart. Thank you. Because there are bugs everywhere. Kim is vomiting cockroaches. They're <coughs> giant cockroaches. I don't know if Kim can't see them or if she's hallucinating them or if one just crawled on the camera lens. And they make a big deal out of the fact that Kim's Jewish, even though this movie's taking place at Christmas. Though Christmas really has nothing to do with any of it that I could tell. We're going to talk all <laughs> about it. And so, Kim is entered into this cult. And now has to kill Hank's brother. But Kim revolts, stabs Fima in the gut. Finally killing Lily's mother. I'm just wondering how many Christmas songs I can work the word rape into in these movies.
3: (laughs) I'm sure every single one of them. It's so
2: easy to rhyme.
3: Yes, and so common in these movies. I tell you, you're right. And if you're reeling at that song, bravo, by the way, (laughs) it's exactly mirroring the experience of watching this movie. The last one... Felt like a series of crazy dreams. This one, they up that. I mean, like I said, there's no one even in a Santa suit. I think we're told that at some point it is Christmas Eve because there's a kid unwrapping gifts. But tenuously, very tenuously, a Christmas horror movie.
2: Yeah, this feels far more just surreal and something. I've never seen the Witchcraft series, but this is what I would imagine it to be about. I know we're in trouble when the opening credits come, and they start with that, like, 1960s hypnosis swirl as the opening graphic.
0: I said it was very Bond-like.
2: It's Saul Bass.
0: I mean, he did this a
3: lot for Hitchcock. I thought they were cool. I kind of like the credits. Yeah, all the spirals. Very vertigo, very 60s. But nothing else in the movie is going to seem very Hitchcock, quite frankly. I don't think Alfred ever filmed a man eating a half-consumed burger and complaining about no cheese. But we start, yes. <laughs> In the gutter, and
2: uh, rightfully so. And that is Clint Howard as Ricky the homeless guy eating the burger. Now, Clint Howard, I have a soft spot in my heart for Clint Howard. Of course you do. Why? Who
3: is this guy? I know he's Ron Howard's brother that has used nepotism to continue to quote-unquote work as an actor.
0: Yep, that's pretty much it.
3: I don't get it. I don't remember him from Ron Howard movies I've seen. I think he was in Halloween. You guys... Seem to know him a lot better than I do. But why do you love him, Arnie? What's he done that's worthy of a claim?
2: Well, he's always showing up in these types of movies, these low-rent movies. He first came to my attention playing a bald child in Star Trek, the original series. It was his first acting role. He was like four. And even then, he was bald. I figured it's a bald cap, but it was just such a prophecy of things to come. And he's just been a person I've grown up with. He's been in a ton of 80s comedies. Yes, some were Ron Howard films, Splash and Parenthood. Some weren't. He's in a lot of these low-rent films. The thing is, the guy can play an everyman. When you see him in Parenthood as the father of another Little League player, you just take him as, yeah, he's a suburbanite. But yet, you just... Don't spend as long in makeup and all of a sudden he is one of the creepiest people in the world with his strange head and his weird teeth and his bug eyes.
3: Yeah, he's definitely got the look of a character actor for a horror movie, but I'm not even sure he's got the gravitas of uh, Bill Moseley here. I mean, I think <laughs> they're already stepping down by getting rid of Bill and saying that this is our new Ricky. We don't recognize it that way in this moment, right? Am I correct in saying? We think he's an innocent bystander watching a murder happen. The first death of the film is not committed by him. It's a woman bursting into flames and falling to the ground and half splatting into ash.
2: Or it's a dummy being dropped off a (laughs) roof and then slowly incinerating like a safety firework once it hits the ground. (laughs) It would have been so much better if they'd lit the dummy on fire before throwing it off the roof. But that might have required a permit. (laughs) But yeah, we're supposed to wonder what's going on on this roof. We hear shouting. That's what makes Ricky look up. Then you see this burning thing. Then you see a a not burning thing hit the ground and then the legs are on fire again. And then it's just this weird pile of ash. And that leads to this entire movie's plot. I could not find anything that rhymed with spontaneous combustion. I don't know why. (laughs) And I'm instantly thinking... This has nothing to do with the previous Silent Night films. Spontaneous Combustion, sure, we went psychic, but Spontaneous Combustion is its whole other thing, and I'm thinking we are finally now at our, like, season of The Witch.
3: Yes, that's exactly what I thought this whole series was going to be. Each time, they're going to just go a different angle on this. I mean, I really thought, That it was going to be just something with no Santa. Is there a history of spontaneous combustion in Christmas? What's frustrating to me is how random all of this feels. How un-Christmas-like it feels to watch her splat. And you just wouldn't know for the rest of the movie that this was happening in December.
0: No, Christmas is like a D-list character in this movie. We don't know if that's the same Ricky. It is not Christmas in your face. You don't see that it's Christmas. So I think it did a really poor job. I'm really not sure what's going on in this movie. I will tell you that my notes are three words for this movie, and that's it. What are they? What the fuck? Oh. <laughs> I don't know. What is? What did I watch? Yes. Santa
3: has been upended by lesbians. Please explain <laughs> to me how we end up with this Lilith cult here. But that's the, who's committing these murders. We're going to find out that this person falling and splatting and burning up was someone who was not worthy of joining... The Lilith Cult, or whatever these are. Are these the people that ended up pioneering the Women's Music Festival, Lilith (laughs) Fair? I I don't know what's going on here, but it it does feel like book club gone bad.
2: (laughs) Sadly, the Lilith Fair is the first thing that comes to mind when I hear the word Lilith, with the second thing being Fraser's ex-wife. I do not think of this biblical story of, I guess, Adam's first wife? Is that even really in the Bible? I've actually read Genesis, and I do not recall reading it, so there's some Bible revisionism going on here. I do know that Lilith
3: Fair is based on the same character, so it is a character in Christian mythology, but I did not know that it was the sassy first wife who didn't do as Adam wanted and burst into flames. No, didn't ever hear that one before.
2: According to this movie, and... I learned more about Lilith from this movie than anything. She becomes the snake in the Garden of Eden, and thus is the goddess of all that crawls.
0: Did you do extra homework or something?
2: Okay, here's something interesting. Lilith is a Jewish mythological figure, which may explain why they make such a big deal about Kim being a Jew in this film. Ah, interesting. So, it's a legend developed during the Middle Ages from Zohar and Jewish mysticism. Oh, Kabbalah, okay. And apparently there's debate over whether the concept of Lilith is actually in the Bible. But there's Hebrew text on it. So, that actually does help explain one of my questions. Because there's this scene where she goes to Hank's parents' house, and her father's, like, anti-Semitic and acts like he's never met a Jewish person before. I didn't understand why there was such a big deal. It's the only Christmas scene in it is that Hank takes Kim, who's our main character, A wannabe reporter who works as a clerk at a newspaper called The Eye.
0: Why is the newspaper called The Eye?
2: Because they filmed in a CBS building, I think. Got it, okay. (laughs) I can't figure it out. Maybe they're referencing back to the blind girl from the last one, Laura?
0: Hmm? I didn't think about that. That's pretty (laughs) smart.
2: That's the only Christmas scene we have is she's there on Christmas Eve and getting railed at for not celebrating Christmas.
0: But they did have the menorah there.
2: It's not Christmas Eve, it's just a get-together. Christmas Eve is when the Lonnie is stolen away. Oh, okay. I thought this was Christmas Eve and that was Christmas Day. But yeah, I guess there are a couple days in there.
3: Yeah, the time frame is very nebulous. All we know is that what is a random death becomes a major story for this aspiring reporter. That she feels like she wants to tell a victim story and the oppressive sexist men at her newspaper have moved on, don't care about it, and... So she's going to independently from her job selling classified ads go out there and do some sleuthing and investigative reporting.
2: And I could see why she would want to take a story nobody else is taking and use it to further her career, but this seems like more than that. It seems like something is driving her for this story. It becomes very personal for her long before she ever finds out anything about the woman. And it felt like more than career ambition for some reason.
3: Absolutely, that she is, yeah, identifying with this woman, that, you know, other people just see something brutal and they just look at the salacious details, they move on. But I gotta say, this doesn't sound like a front page edition either. It's days later and she's still taking pictures of the chalk drawing, interviewing people. I think you gotta be a lot quicker than that. The world moves on, they're not wanting to hear about someone that fell off a building burning last week. That's just not how newspaper journalism worked.
2: I love that the chalk outline was there and that it just turns away and becomes ash for the legs.
3: Yeah, that was
0: awesome.
2: Yeah, that whoever did the stenciling really artistically
3: captured how her posterior burned up. (laughs) And so yeah, the early scenes are her trying to get respect at the newspaper, her angry with Hank because he's not defending her, and her wandering around trying to find some kind of lead
2: eventually finding one at Octopussy's Bookstore. I was so glad we just did the Bond films so that I could recognize Maud Adams as Octopussy. Once again, the head of a lesbian cult. Yes, circuses aren't
3: what they used to, so now she's moved to books. And hell, it's only been seven years since Octopussy.
2: I mean, this is quite a fall, even
3: from Roger Moore.
2: Although I'm just not enjoying the vibe of what's going on in that Right outside where the girl fell is a bookstore that just happens to have occult books. And the only thing keeping me going is Ricky is in there, homeless Ricky.
0: But wait, it's a bookstore
2: next to a butcher
0: shop. You forgot that. But it's very important because this is where the witches have all their lesbian bugs and whatever.
3: The whole block is in on it. It's like a block party to burn people. Because, yeah, <laughs> the butcher, everyone in the block gives the same kind of like, oh, I know nothing about it, in a very suspicious Scooby-Doo kind of way of, blowing off her inquiring questions and she walks away with a free copy of initiation of the virgin goddess and a kiss from octopussy she doesn't know what the hell's going on with this person does she want to be a journalist or does she want to switch teams
2: i could not tell what was going on she does have this weird thing with her boyfriend hank who's constantly horny she seems to never be horny and wants to rebuke his advances but she seems pretty open to just hanging out with these lesbians and kissing them on the lips.
0: Yeah, contrary to popular belief, this is not how other women greet themselves even lesbians. This is not how it really is, guys.
3: <laughs> Definitely not. I, you know, I this is I should be pointed out 1990 sort of the beginnings of mainstreaming of lesbian culture. I think Madonna was just starting to kiss Sandra Bernhard at this time and This movie would have been seen as pretty progressive. I'm sure that part of the reason why it was hard to handle and promote this was that these themes are a little bit provocative here. That, yeah, they're going in this direction. I'm not sure why, but it would offer something new
2: for horror people that they wouldn't have seen at this time. Well, by 1990, I'd seen my fair share of lesbian cinema and (laughs) my share of horror. So I could have seen this as a titillating way to bring in my ilk.
3: But you haven't seen it combined. I mean, I dare say there hasn't been too many lesbian horror movies in 1990 or even
0: now. I told you that this movie reminded me of some weird Cinemax late night movie without so much the horror, but the whole lesbian vibe. It's like one of those ones you're not supposed to watch.
2: Like Embrace of the Vampire. Which hadn't come out yet. No, no, that's several years after this, but... Watching this for the first time today, yeah, I could see that kind of a vibe, where it's like, ooh, she's got her hand all the way up inside Alyssa Milano. But they don't really go there. All the nudity is Kim's, 100%. The movie opens with her nude in bed, and there's several more scenes of it throughout.
3: No, I feel like this is a pioneer for this kind of stuff that you're talking about here. I think that Yun's claim to fame in the horror genre is that he really did push lesbian, by sexually provocative imagery in low-rent horror scenarios here with the Reanimator sequels, with Society, with this. I feel like that's his aim here. Obviously, it isn't about satirizing Christmas. I think what he really wants to do here is mainstream lesbianism and make it this sort of strange gender battle with the sexist men in the office. Which one is Kim going to fall to? Will she pursue her dreams and be like one of the boys? Or will she quit her job and go picnicking with the four people that we're going to meet next?
2: And this whole thing just seems so convenient that she's investigating this death and she just happens into a bookstore. I mean, if I'm investigating a murder or a death, the bookstore right next door, I wouldn't go in looking for a book on spontaneous combustion. And the dialogue is so stilted, talking about the glass ceiling, the men's club. Boys are going to be boys, and I think there's something said about can't get anywhere in this newspaper without a penis. I mean, it's just very obvious within the first 15 minutes that we've got a women of the 80s breaking through the glass ceiling kind of plot going on. When it turns a little bit by curious is when it got strange.
0: That's not when it got strange. <laughs>
2: No, it got strange, I guess, before that, because before the picnic, we do see Ricky pulling giant maggots out of ceiling pipes.
3: (laughs) I thought this was going to be a dream sequence. I'm like, she's going to wake up from this because there's no explanation here. No, they literally live in a building where there are giant maggots in the pipes. And I would definitely ask the landlord for a fumigation or a a decrease in the rent. I know that it can be expensive out here.
2: Or just be let out of the lease so you can get the hell out. Living in your car is better. I've seen a lot of strange living situations here in L.A., but this
3: would be the absolute weirdest. You just would not live in a building where there are maggots as big as you are living in the walls.
2: But I'm going to give this scene a whole lot of credit because it is the only artful scene in the whole thing because as Kim is walking up these staircases and they're just filthy, rusty, moldy, as the focus shifts on them, they become demonic faces. All of the dirt is evil. Yeah, I've noticed
3: that. And they do do it again later. There's a dream sequence where she's staring up at a tree branch and it's kind of filmed in a way that she sees that face again. I don't know to what aim. I mean, it just telegraphs that, ooh, there's something evil going on, but it was kind of cool. I'll
2: give you that. But yes, they have this picnic in the park where is the first time... That FEMA.
0: Distinct disaster.
2: Yeah. Named after the federal emergency management agency. She caused New Orleans and this movie. I'm not sure which is the worst
0: disaster, frankly.
2: (laughs) Starts putting something in her drink.
0: This is where the movie took a turn kind of like the movie The Lost Boys, where they put something, gave him the wine that made him think he was seeing maggots and we found out later it was blood. They start tampering with her drink, giving her some kind of lesbian witch roofie and all of a sudden, She's having some really strange dreams.
2: And letting Maud Adams kiss
3: her. Yep. They do it in front of her later. They're like, oh, here. They're like dumping it right in front of her. What kind of investigative reporter is this where she willingly drinks a tea that is drugged? I mean, this girl is all kinds of stupid. She would never make it as an investigative reporter here. Girl, boy, any world, she will not compete in this environment. She's way too dumb for me to admire in this movie. She's a real problem as my in.
2: I'm with her on the journey, I hate to say. I mean, yes, she's dumb, but so is this movie. And the advantage of her being dumb and me being dumbfounded is we're learning together. (laughs) All right. Well, you mentioned witch Rufy, and that
3: prompts a question that I still don't know the answer to. Are these chicks witches? I mean, in the traditional sense of it, they don't have brooms. They don't have green skin. They don't cast spells, per se. They kind of just get together and picnic and take off their clothes. I just feel like this is more like a sapphic holiday or something. I just don't feel like I'm getting the typical boil and bubble witch kind of thing. But keep in mind, a couple years before this, Witches of Eastwick. Yeah, the suburban witch thing had already been done, Witches of Eastwick, sure. And it had a similar
2: gender politics vibe to it. You're right. Yeah, I... Took them completely as witches. I think that they were practicing witchcraft. Maybe now that you've said it, it's Kabbalah. They didn't have the little, little leather straps that Madonna made fashionable for about a the month. red strings. Yeah, so I think that they are witches, and they are witches in service of Lilith, the bug goddess.
0: I thought they are Wiccans, because there's witches, like Stuart's talking about with the green skin and that kind of witch, but then there's Wiccan, which is very earthy and very natural. I don't know if it's necessarily very lesbian, but I thought that they're more Wiccan or some faction off that.
3: Definitely agree with that. We really haven't covered witches in now playing. They haven't been a monster that's come up, but to me, there is a differentiation between a hag that casts horrible spells and eats children and bakes them and all of that. And then, yeah, these kind of earthy chicks that don't shave under their armpits and just <laughs> kind of want to hang out under a tree all day.
2: We did have the Celtic witches in Halloween 3, so I put these. Which is in the same camp. Well, you could put this in the same camp as Halloween 3. I'll give you that. What the hell is going on? I'm still with it at this point. I get that they were somehow involved in the death of FEMA's daughter, Lilith, named after the goddess. So if you didn't get that they were worshipping Lilith already, the daughter's the namesake. But I don't know what they want with Kim. They're initiating her for some reason. They're putting stuff in her drink. But it is very Lost Boys, now that you've said that, Marjorie, in the whole kind of seductive, you're going to be one of us, Michael, kind of way.
0: I mean, the Lost Boys is kind of sexy. It's vampires. You know, they're all kind of hot. It's a very sexual and erotic thing when they're drinking the blood. And I think that's what they're going for here.
2: There's a difference when you have guys getting around drinking blood and eating maggots or women at a picnic with red wine. Women at a picnic with red wine is hoity-toity and not at all sexy.
0: It's like soccer mom lesbian recruitment meetings. Is that what you're saying?
2: Well, not soccer mom quite yet, although one of them does look like she has a plethora of toasters in her closet.
3: Yeah, but then there's the old hag, too. That's the one I'm referring to. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's not all sexy. I do feel like that's what they were going for. But it's half foot into that. It, had they waited three more years to make this movie, I think these would have all been models and they would have all been groping each other much more. This is a tentative step towards lesbian horror movies. Up to this point, I can only think of The Hunger as the only other comparative to this. It just it wasn't a genre yet. So they didn't know quite how to sell it. And they're as timid as Kim is here and doling out these villains. I'm not even sure that they're villains. Ultimately, they're more likable than the guys that Kim is dating or working with.
2: I can't decide if Hank's supposed to be a nice guy or a jerk, because on the one hand, he seems only interested in getting her into bed and not really having a conversation, which in this type of movie is a bad thing. But by the same token... He's like, I want you to meet my parents. He seems interested in a commitment.
3: Yeah, it does seem like that what they're kind of asking for each other. And it's strange. He's reluctant. It shouldn't be said that he wants her to meet the parents, but he's allowing that to happen. He's introducing her as a woman in his life to his parents, even though the people at work aren't supposed to know that they go out for afternoon
2: delight. <laughs> But by the same token, there's a lot of just weird happenstance in this movie because she goes to that picnic and gets drugged. But then it's Hank who saves her because the secretary Janice, played by Moonlighting's Alice Beasley, Agnes Depesto, sent him there. We later find out she's in on it. So why did she send him to break up their little lesbian initiation? And more, at this point is where the movie just becomes a little bit trippy and psychedelic. And I wonder if the whole point was we should have started smoking weed with the opening credits and we would have still been with the movie an hour in. I definitely felt throughout the movie that we were
3: going to find out that Hank was somehow nefariously involved. Hell, when he's showing her off to the parents, he's wearing all black. And yeah, he just keeps popping up at all the opportune moments of like, She'd have a weird dream and he's knocking on the door. To me, it was convenient how he would always be there to whisk her away to the next plot. I thought he was in on it. It was very weird to me when he ends up getting axed and he's perceived as the enemy by this cult. Because I thought for sure that he was a part of it. I had guessed that Janice was in on it. Early on, she sits on Janet's desk and Janice puts her arm on her leg in a very provocative way. And is always calling, is always involved. Let's face it, every woman in this movie is or wants to be in this Lilith cult. It is a gender war here. Any woman you see, she's going to be one of the witches. Any man you see is going to be a chauvinist pig.
2: So what does this all have to do with giant maggots?
0: (laughs) Because they needed a penis in the movie somewhere.
3: Yeah, I definitely feel like this is where society, this is where Brian Yuzna's aesthetic is coming in. He likes these kind of sexually graphic images. They have very explicit tangents that really would earn this movie close to an NC-17, I would think. A maggot being inserted into a woman, coming out of her mouth, cut in half, and it's goo innards being poured all over her face. I mean, I definitely wanted a towel after (laughs) it was over.
2: It's bug cocky!
0: Oh! Oh! It was a very poorly done scene that was supposed to be very sexual, but the sexuality was poorly done because they did it with bugs.
2: No, no, the bugs are more sexy than Clint Howard.
0: True,
3: (laughs) you're right. You might be right there, but my question is, yes, is it sexually perverse or is it sexually erotic? I mean, were they trying to do something that turned us on? I didn't get that vibe. I thought it was more about trying to unsettle us by showing a sex act with things that were repulsive. I think that they were definitely wanting to make the sexuality repulsive.
2: I don't think it was supposed to be a turn-on, even though she was naked. I think it was supposed to be disturbing. And what I eventually got, and it really hit home during the scene, I wish I could unsee, of Clint Howard raping Kim.
0: Oh, with that weird mask on? Yeah. I thought that was like one of those weird dildo masks. Yeah,
2: if you ever saw little Alex
3: in Clockwork Orange, that's exactly what the drugs wore when they broke into in the house and took the
2: woman. But I got a Rosemary's Baby vibe with the way it's filmed and the fact that you see this rape and other people are watching, then retroactively could see a lot of Rosemary's Baby in this entire movie. You've got this cult of normal looking people and this woman who's being subverted and who's being impregnated against her will to bring an evil spirit. I think this is a hacky lesbian Rosemary's baby ripoff.
3: Perhaps. To me, I keep going back to Cronenberg because body horror, things to do with sex, and... Sex acts that are perverse and disgusting. Anytime that I'm seeing sexually graphic imagery involving bugs, I'll face it, it's the fly. I'm really thinking about Naked Lunch, a movie that was made concurrently with this. Cronenberg did a whole movie in which men and women battled each other with imagery that involved talking bugs and giant larvae and people switching genders. I really feel like this guy is going for Cronenberg, and that's a weird thing for a Christmas movie.
2: Christmas is such a non-entity in this movie. This entire movie celebrates Christmas as much as Kim does.
3: Right, I think that there is exactly one cardboard decoration of Santa stuck on a wall, and that may be the only Santa that appears in here. And, of course, the clip from the last movie, Clint Howard bursts into the apartment at one point, turns on the TV, and we see the dream sequence from Better Watch Out.
2: I love that. He goes, Santa Claus killer, is he the Ricky, or is he a Ricky? Is he watching himself the way you thought Ricky was watching himself in the movie theater in Silent Night, Deadly Night 2? Or is he just another guy named
1: Rick?
3: I think that this is the moment that we are told that there is a direct connection here. They got him a head transplant. He doesn't have to wear the glass bowl. It's just the bald cap now. And he's Ricky. He is the same character we've been watching for the last couple movies.
0: But this was the only mention of this whatsoever, other than his name being Ricky. I almost feel like that scene was thrown in just so they can be able to call it Silent Night, Deadly Night.
3: Well, he does like to use a small knife, and that was really a trademark of the last movie. He used that really tiny scalpel that was really too small to really inflict mortal wounds. Well, he's doing that here when he attacks
2: Hank. And has to stab the guy like 30 times to get him down. (laughs)
0: Well, he's got a little tiny knife. It's like a paring knife.
2: (laughs) I don't even think he went there with the intent of murdering. It's just kind of a fun thing to do. Yes. So what I don't understand is why a Santa
3: Claus killer would be at the employment of a coven of man-hating witches. That's what I don't get the connection of. It is the same Ricky, but how Ricky has wandered away from dating psychics to being in the custody of... Of Octopussy, I'll never get.
0: (laughs) I thought they just kind of took him in, because they did say he should have been institutionalized years ago. Maybe they just, he was homeless, and they said, Hey, if you kill people for a lesbian cult, we'll let you sleep on the roof for free and eat all the bugs you can find.
2: He's kind of like the Renfield of this cult, too. I mean, he's got that bug-eating vibe and does the dirty work, but... I'm surprised they let a man stick around and used a man to rape Kim. I would have thought that they would have had some magical implement that was not an actual penis. A
0: magical penis?
2: Yes. At the end of this movie, they start to get into the metaphors of it all. What
3: we'll learn is all these things that are terrorizing Kim, the giant cockroach that's crawling around her apartment and under her bed, all of this dream imagery is mostly created by her. They are trying to teach her to be free of men. That there's some mention made of the fact that men instill fear in women and that she's trying to learn how to control her fear so that she can spit their maggoty influence out. And I think that that's what's going on here. Ultimately, they are man-haters. They do kill this Ricky. They do want to sacrifice Lonnie. They don't have much use for men, but I think they use Ricky as
2: a way of working through Kim's issues of men. See, since Lilith was called the goddess of all that crawled, I didn't even know if they were hallucinations or if they were actually the manifestation of Lilith. That Lilith wasn't a mythical creature, but actually existed in giant roaches in L.A.
0: <laughs> that would have been more fitting had it been Florida, though.
2: But <laughs> they're palmetto, palmetto bugs. bugs. But it gets really trippy at the end, because Ricky does rape Kim... And then they lock her in a meat locker and tell her it's painful to give birth to yourself. And then her legs fuse together, her fingers get all bendy. Yeah, she's essentially cocoon. She is going to
3: transform. I don't know if she's going to emerge as a butterfly, but I understand that she is going through a transformation. That the impregnation is going to turn her into something else. Allegedly going to turn her into the facsimile of the burning.
2: Victim from the opening scene. Right, because that's what I did get out of this. One of the few coherent plot points is that FEMA regretted the fact that her daughter Lilith couldn't handle the power of being one of these witches and it burned her up. That's what they say anyway, although here we see not following FEMA's rules burns you up. We'll get to that in a minute. But she's upset that her daughter Lilith is dead. And so they want to raise Lilith's spirit, and I think they're going to bring her spirit into Kim's body. And I think that kind of happens right before Hank is killed because it's the only time we ever see Kim horny. Hank's hitting on her, and she becomes the sexual aggressor and takes on a totally different voice, a totally different persona. Now, we never see little Lilith alive. Maybe the actress playing Kim is just so bad that when she is playing sexy and horny, She affects an entirely different demeanor, but I took it as this was the spirit of Lilith taking over her body and wanting some penis.
3: Well, not necessarily penis, but she was becoming sexually aggressive. The key is that she's learning how to be powerful, to use sex to control. That up to this point, Hank had kind of dominated her. He was swaddling her in his leather jackets and forcing her to do what he wanted. You were supposed to get the sense that he was taking advantage of her at the workplace. In any given circumstance, at this scene, the tables are turned. She's powerful. Shortly thereafter, he's killed. She's in training to be super lesbian, I do believe. I don't (laughs) feel like they're training her to pleasure men. They're training her how to use sexuality.
1: Well,
2: you see, I took it as not she was going to pleasure him, but she was going to use him for her pleasure. Subtle difference.
3: And you know those bugs, they always seem to kill the men. You know, I think about spiders that rip off the head of the men after they mate and all of that. I mean... I don't know what they're going for with the insect imagery other than the obvious phallus quality of some of these worms here. But, yes, it's a transformation of some kind into some fearsome, powerful creature. A
2: fearsome, powerful creature with bendy fingers. (laughs) But now it is Christmas Day, and FEMA demands, and this took me back to Lost Boys again, that Kim kill Hank's brother because she's not a member of their group until her first kill, which was the whole Lost Boys Mm -hmm. thing.
0: Except that his brother is like 12.
2: How does that happen? There has to be a 20-year gap between the two of them. I would say 15, and I have a sister 12 years older than me. It happens.
0: The parents don't look spry, though.
2: No, the dad doesn't even get up. I mean, that's how they characterize him. He's such
3: an old stereotype that the wife is always doting on him. He does not get out of the couch. At no point does he ever get up until Clint Howard is bursting into their house with tape and trying to take advantage of, I think, of his wife, ends up choking him with the Christmas
2: lights. The only Christmassy kill we ever Mm -hmm. get. It took me back to Billy in the first one. I thought Clint Howard might lift him off the ground if Clint Howard stood on a box.
0: Uh, Yeah, because Clint Howard is shorter than I am, I think.
2: But yeah, they kidnapped this little kid who's, uh, you say 12, I'm thinking maybe 14, 15. Probably about my age when this movie came out, but... I don't understand why she has to kill this kid. It would make more sense if she had to kill Hank to free herself from her boss. One of these men that were keeping her down.
0: Maybe it's something because the little brother, most likely, because this was in 89, not this year, is a virgin at whatever young age he is. And it might have something to do with that, even though they didn't say that. Virgin blood is usually more revered. And more prized for your rituals.
3: I don't know what it has to do within the context of the story why it's him. I can tell you why they do it this way as a casting choice. Because if they hired one of those people that we hated from the office to kill, we'd be rooting for her to do it. We'd be wanting her to get the kill done. By making it this innocent kid, we're supposed to think that this would be a horrible thing, and we're hoping she doesn't go through with it.
2: In fact, his kidnapping is really disturbing. I mean, it really plays like a real stranger danger situation. Your brother's in the van. Get in. And then he starts really screaming and this kid can play terrified really well. And I felt bad for this kid when he was being kidnapped. It really creeped me out. It was icky. I agree. Ickier than any of the fake puppet bugs. Hm. And also, I do have to give them credit. I love that the father tries to defend himself against Clint Howard with a camcorder, and we get the camcorder POV as it's being bashed over Clint Howard's head.
0: Well, that was about the time that camcorders were becoming a mainstay in people's houses.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. But we finally get back on the rooftop, and they want to kill this kid, but of course, Kim can't do it and stabs FEMA instead. With the dagger of Ajanti, I think it is. What's gonna
3: open up for her... That hasn't already happened. I mean, what do you get when you become a part of this cult that she already wasn't getting?
0: Your legs don't catch on fire.
3: Okay. So she's going to burn up. She's got this thing throbbing inside of her. If she doesn't do the kill, she'll spontaneously combust.
0: That's what I'm getting from it. Because she started to catch fire. Remember, she hopped in the shower once because she's starting to catch fire. She has to kill this kid or she's going to die.
2: And in fact... Whatever power is causing her to catch fire understands her will. When she's just sitting there going, I'm not going to do it, her legs are smoldering. And when she goes, okay, I think I will, they just stop. So if she disobeys FEMA, she burns up, and FEMA says kill this kid, okay. So I understand her motivation is to not die, even if it means killing this kid, but I still don't understand why FEMA wants this kid dead. No, we didn't read the initiation book.
3: We only saw two pages of it involving the fire and the spiral. I think that's all that we'll know about how this coven conducts its business. But, you know, child sacrifice, it's kind of a standard with any kind of cult. I think its a, you're always good for getting what you want when you kill something young and innocent.
2: <laughs> and then after Kim stabs FEMA, I get more confused. FEMA isn't dead because it is a small knife, but she's dying. So she goes after Kim, and Clint Howard comes to Kim's aid? I thought he was the lackey. I never got his change of allegiance. Nope. And then the maggots crawl into his stomach.
0: There wasn't a whole bunch of character development in this movie, or any inkling of character motivation, except for Kim, whose legs don't want to burn.
3: Yeah, and that's different for this movie. Usually they're layering over 40 minutes of why they do what they do before they do their horrible acts, but here it's inscrutable, and... We're just to presume that because they're a coven of women that they should be distrustful and horrible. It's all kinds of strange stereotypes here.
2: If indeed you see these women as bad. I see all of them, but Kim is bad. I mean, I think that's what I'm supposed to see. Right. Although the other ones who aren't FEMA do seem as controlled by FEMA as Kim. So in some ways they could be seen as sympathetic characters. because. I mean, when FEMA eventually falls off the roof, like her daughter did, the others don't attack him. They're just kind of like, okay. They're free. Yeah.
3: Yeah, exactly. Even though there is an older woman there who I presume was the head of the coven, it's FEMA that's pulling all the strings. She's the one with the bookstore, I guess. That's why she has the clout. She's a business owner. She's the star. She's the one that's, you know, survived kissing Roger Moore. (laughs) But it's a real Elm Street ending here with the way that our female character just rejects the evil is able to just claim it as her own just by putting her hands to her hips and saying okay i'm not going to burn i'm not going to do that you know it's an i don't believe in you anymore kind of moment
2: yeah but by the same token her bendy fingers have formed a wonderful weapon (laughs) a flame because she's starting to combust i didn't think it was i don't believe in you it was i'm about to die but i'm going to take you with me bitch
0: yeah, but in that scene where she's got the gnarly hands, and this is a climatic scene that they didn't have in the last movie. There was actually stuff going on, and it lasted a while. You can see her holding the prosthetic hands. <laughs> when true. they When they shoot from behind her, you can see her hand holding stick hands that are all gnarled.
2: Yeah, it's a poor matting job on that one when you can see her just holding the fake hands. but Yes, FEMA does fall off. It, is it supposed to be ironic she dies like her daughter who she was trying to resurrect? And who she killed in the first place. And then the credits just roll. They're like, all right, we're done. We've hit our running time. We're, we're out of film. It's over. What happened to Hank? I don't know. We saw him get killed, but there was no blood, no body. I didn't know if that was actually a hallucination or a real kill. No,
0: it happened because Agnes DePesto came in. She was the cleaner and she cleaned it all up and got rid of it. She was irritated that Ricky had killed him and made such a huge mess. She had to go in and make it look like nothing happened.
2: Ah. Can she come to our house?
0: Yes, I'll call her right away. She's not working.
2: (laughs) Sequel! I think uh, she might be the one coming back next week. Did she ever work again after 1990? Moonlighting was canceled. I don't think she'll come back in the sequel. Maybe I'm wrong. Again, know nothing about the sequel. But I think I do know if Marjorie Stewart, do you recommend Silent Night, Deadly Night for Initiation? Marjorie?
0: Yeah, no. When we started watching this movie, I pulled up IMDb and I didn't mean to see what this movie was about. And I thought, okay, all right, this is its season of The Witch. This is like Halloween 3. I'm going to get something great like three more days till Halloween, Halloween, Halloween. Three more days till Halloween, silver shamrock. I didn't get that. I got this really weird, bizarre, like I was staying up late with my friends watching a dirty movie and it was not good. It was poorly made, poorly acted. I don't know how this fit in. I don't know if it was Ricky or what. I'm going to have to say not recommend. You can just skip this one. You're not going to miss much, unless you want to see some boobs. But boobs are so prevalent now with the internet, you really don't need to rent this movie to see boobs.
2: But these are real? That might...
0: They were not implants. I will give her that. But she probably has implants now.
3: (laughs) Stewart. You know, three lumps of coal here. I think that this one is a step down from the last one. And that's really saying something, because we've never been at a high place. I mean, all these movies are on my naughty list. I just gave the second one a fruitcake because it made me laugh. But this is really (laughs) unpleasurable. I had a sense of claustrophobia watching this. I literally was having trouble sitting in front of it. I just felt confined by it. It's not a Silent Night, Deadly Night movie, for one. I mean, honestly, if Doug Bradley had walked in at the very end here with pins coming out of his face and said something (laughs) about Octopussy's soul being torn apart, they could have released this as Hellraiser initiation. I mean, this is not a Santa Claus killer movie. And that's really the real big disservice here, is that the Ricky they give us is so not the Ricky that we've had, even in that last one. I kind of like what they're doing with the gender war and the imagery here, but again, I think that's a recommend for Naked Lunch. For this movie, it's gutter trash. Leave it smoldering on the ground. Let's move away. Three lumps of coal.
2: I have to heartily disagree with you, Stuart. This one (laughs) is better than Part 3 by a little bit. If Part 3 is a moldy hamburger you find in a gutter, this one at least has the cheese. With maggots on it, yes. With maggots.
3: (laughs) Uh, you know, you're not gonna put up much of a fight with me over this.
2: <laughs> we definitely are splitting all kinds of hairs here. This movie is certainly a very clear not recommend, but for the quality of its effects, which other than when you could see her hands quite clearly, <laughs> were decent, especially for the time, and very fitting with the type of reanimator vibe that I know use enough for.
0: Even the puppet bugs.
2: Even the Puppet Bugs. I mean, reanimator. I never thought were real body parts either. And I could go with this kind of a vibe. The lack of ties to the previous movies are disappointing. I'm siding with Marjorie. I don't think it's the same Ricky. I think that they're just referencing a previous one in the series, much like when in Halloween 3 they were watching the other Halloween movies and they had, like, the Michael Myers like Stalkers. But I think that they were just doing that as an in-joke. And The last movie was incomprehensible and nothing happened. Here, this is incomprehensible, but stuff does happen. I'm still not quite sure what, which gives me the unfriendly task of having to do the plot summary for it. I'm not sure what was hallucination and what was real, but it at least kept me interested enough trying to figure it out until the very end. But no, cheaply made, poorly done, and in the end, much like the last one really, really dull. I think we've called out all the best moments of it. There is zero way I could recommend anyone sitting through these 90 minutes either to laugh at it or to laugh with it or to be scared or repulsed or, for what Marjorie said, the boobs, Neath's Hunters just weren't that memorable. So, it is a not recommend and I just unfortunately know from when I was IMDb'ing this movie we do see some of these characters return next week. No, not next week.
3: Actually, originally when we planned this out, we thought that, yeah, we do one a week here, and next week is Christmas, so we'll finish up with part five. But alas, or or maybe to our joy, we'll yet to unwrap it. There is a DVD out there floating around called Silent Night.
2: It's floating around my living room right now. I, <laughs> I bought it.
3: Yes. We're covering that on Christmas Day. That's what you'll be unwrapping next week. You get to open a gift early. We're going to do part five this Friday. Because we
2: haven't done enough podcasts this year.
3: (laughs) Hey, we did have several good boys and girls that donated and really made it worthwhile. This is our present to you, and I'm looking forward to this one. I watched the trailer, and I got to say, this one could be a fruitcake. This could be as good as part two or even better. I think we're got a good one coming up here with the
2: Toymaker. Well, that's good, because both parts three and four are just in the trash waiting for GARBAGE DAY!
0: Oh, dear. I have heard this phrase, like,
1: every day.
3: (laughs) It really has been. Uh, Yes, the 12 days of Christmas here really have been mostly put out there in the canister. Yeah, you really hit on something there when you said, not funny. I mean, I think you can always hold me a little bit. If I laugh. And in this one, I just didn't even smile. I just didn't think anything about it was funny, intentional
2: or otherwise. That's why it's the worst one for me. Well, we'll be back on Friday with Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 5. So you better not pout. You better not cry. You better not shout. I'm telling you why. You're getting two now playings this week. We'll talk to you then.
0: save
1: now Santa Claus is gone thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing cheer up tomorrow's Christmas Eve and things
0: are only going to get better
1: if you enjoyed this podcast head to our website nowplayingpodcast.com to hear the other reviews in the Silent Night Deadly Night series let me tell you about Christmas it ain't all candy canes and pretty lights as well as other horror movie reviews, such as the Halloween movies, Friday the 13th, A Nightmare on Elm Street, House of a Thousand Corpses, and more. You
3: tend to get paranoid when everyone
1: around you gets dead. We also have non-horror movie reviews, such as Star Trek, Terminator, The Avengers, Rambo, Rocky, and more. That sounds like an enterprise of great pith. Find hundreds of movie review podcasts, at NowPlayingPodcast.com Is it live or is it memorized? While at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums, where you can discuss this review with other listeners. You will talk. I will listen. But then you know that. You can also follow NowPlaying on Facebook and Twitter, where the hosts post new episode announcements and written movie reviews.
2: So where are you going to go?
1: The links to our social media pages can be found at NowPlayingPodcast.com you have to come up sometime. And when you do, I'll be waiting for you. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating.
2: Ho, ho, ho. Give a dollar for the kiddies!
1: You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com.
0: Put the money in the bag.
1: Now Playing's Silent Night, Deadly Night is edited by Ray, Phil, Dylan, Jeff, and Arnie. What are you, a masochist or something? Now playing, credit narration by Brock. I'm finished talking, Henry. The Silent Night, Deadly Night films are the property of their individual studios and stakeholders, and no infringement is intended. Too many people get away with shit like that. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Enganza Media Incorporated. There is no logical explanation. Now playing is a Venganza Media production copyright 2012, all rights reserved.
3: IT'S OVER! TIME TO GET (laughs) SHITFACED! Naughty. And I quote... Hold on.
2: Hmm, did I not write it down? Are there any memorable quotes from this movie? PUNISH! Can you refill mine? Yes. I will queue up the next plot summary. GOOD THINKING! (laughs) I miss him! I do! He was so great! Chestnuts roasting, chestnuts roasting on an open fire. A girl's legs suddenly catch on fire. A girl's legs suddenly catch on fire. A girl's legs suddenly catch on fire. A girl's legs suddenly catch on
0: fire. (laughs)
2: Punish! I don't even recognize it. A girl's legs suddenly catch on fire (laughs) As she plummets from a roof Knowing what happened is Kim's big desire. A wanna be reporter. Needs the truth. <laughs> Everybody knows that Kim just works in classified. Your autotune's a little uh, crazy. Her boyfriend Hank tells her stay calm. Do you believe in love? She thinks FEMA knows how young Lily died. She doesn't know FEMA's the girl's mom. She finds out FEMA is a <laughs> witch. She wants to raise her daughter's spirit in this bitch. And Kim is raped. By homeless Ricky, who keeps trying to feed her bug larvae. And so Kim tries to get cops to help out, tries to prove Ricky killed Hank. But there is no proof of what Kim's babbling about. There's no sign of Rick's shank. And at this point, the movie goes what could be called bug nuts by <laughs> Literally. Stewart because there are bugs everywhere. Kim is vomiting cockroaches. They're giant cockroaches. I don't know if Kim can't see them or if she's hallucinating them. Or if one just crawled on the camera lens, and they make a big deal out of the fact that Kim's Jewish, even though this movie's taking place at Christmas, though Christmas really has nothing to do with (laughs) any of it that I can tell, we're going to talk all about it. And so, Kim is entered into this cult, and now has to kill Hank's brother. But Kim revolts, stabs FEMA in the gut, finally killing Lily's mother.